Okay, we're recording. Oh my god, we're alive! <laughs> we're here. <laughs> it's happening. Hi, hello, 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 very valued and loyal and wonderful listeners. It's so great to see you. Not really, but for you to hear us in this wonderful month of June. Listen to our voices. Um, oh my god, yeah, our voices June. are coming from the far beyond. <laughs> we're back. We came back. We we uh, we had to take two months off. Um, and, uh, but for good, for good reason, you know, a lot has been happening in the world. A lot. Um, Almost, I would say too much. <laughs> I would say too much. I did like, um, a meme that I saw the other day, which was, uh, time travel, tra- time travelers totally exist. Um, someone keeps going back in time to fix 2020. And every time they slightly change something, they end up making things worse. Stop um, fucking up 2020 so because, goddamn much. Please because stop. Because it's like, remember how murder hornets were a problem and now all of a sudden they're gone? Like, no one's yeah. talking about them. They're just gone. They fixed yep. that, but at what cost? <laughs> like, yes, at what cost? So Pure emotional trauma. That's the cost. <laughs> but we're here. We made it so far, thus far. Um, and happy and Pride Month. Happy Pride Month. That too. So... If you have no idea what's going on this this far in, uh, you're listening to the Herlock Files. It's our true crime and gaming podcast, uh, run by me and Yeba. What's up? What's up? Uh, and yeah, we're just gonna we do a monthly podcast, so we put out one episode every single month, uh, minus April and May. Those months just don't count this year. Um, really long. March. We're just going to stick with that. It's just one really long March. Yeah. It was just a really long March. There was one episode for it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, we're just, we're getting back into the swing of things. And I think today's uh, discussion is going to be a really fun one. Yes. Well, Zoe approached me and was just like, hey, how about you uh, think about the topic for, for this time? Because we've, we've definitely collaborated um, some themes sounded really good for some months or seemed really topical. Um, and so I immediately jumped on some of my favorite true crime sagas. And that's um, anything that has to do with an organized crime entity. So whether it's cults or ca- uh, cartels or drug operations or mafias, like that is that is my thing. Like I, I am I, I did my entire senior thesis on the war on drugs <laughs> uh, in college. Um, I, I love looking at it from all the different aspects and 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 uh, just wonderful facets that evolve around um, just, I mean, the wonderful world of drugs, which sounds terrible, but it's so fascinating. Yes. And yeah. And I mean, we've touched upon these topics a little bit here and there. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've brought up like Jonestown in a previous yep. episode. Um, I think we brought up maybe some mafia stuff in a previous episode, or like organized crime in a previous episode. Well, um, even even just the the last episode with the monster of Florence, there was this thing of just like it's not just one person; it's like a whole group potentially, group, like yeah. cult potentially underground organization that's just going around killing these people. Yeah, and also like you know, with everything going on in the world back in April when we were trying to make a episode for that month, we were trying to be like sensitive to what was going yes. on. Like I didn't want to do an episode on like 
pandemics or plagues or anything like that like I felt like it was just not right and then of course then May June rolled around and we were like here's some hot topics that we could touch but we didn't want to be insensitive it's so Um, raw still and it's yeah it's still very raw I think it's important to talk about I think at some time we should definitely do an episode that kind of relates to the topics that have been discussed and uh you know, especially underreported crimes, especially with um, either large uprisings or stuff that has to do with protests or even like stuff that has to do with racial minorities when things went awry and were underreported. And like, I'm just thinking about the Atlanta child murders or just something along those lines of like, this was a shit show and needs yeah. to be talked about. Or more. just the Tulsa massacres mm-hmm. that like no one ever learns about. Yep. Um, but again, like, one, we're both like white people <laughs> and yep. uh two um it's still very raw and very real right now and it's just not as much as it is important to talk about those subjects it might not be the best time to do so now so a lot of really great powerful educated and emotionally wonderfully filled voices that are speaking out about this and i think it would be a good opportunity to also elevate them instead of trying to retell a story stories yeah and yeah and and yeah. kind of and kind of have that happen so it's good that people and we want to let people know about them but at the same time like we don't need to be to the, the voice of the community yeah we don't need to be the people telling those stories um yep. so instead we're gonna talk about some other subjects that may be more uh intriguing or entertaining for the time right now and that you can take you know a couple hours out of your day to listen and kind of escape a little bit um yeah so yeah so that's what we're gonna do today so yabba's gonna go first i am i'm gonna go first and i i do have to i do have to do a little setup before this because i also need to make sure that people know which cartel i'm referring to because there is one large blanket and umbrella cartel um among uh the ones that i'm going to speak about uh today but the the choice um, that I went with is I went with the story of the cocaine cowboys in Miami in the 1980s. Um, mostly because it has one of my favorite video games uh, that gets linked to it. And I cannot wait to explore that more. Um, along with uh, just copious amounts of pop culture. <laughs> copious amounts of pop culture. Because as we know, the 1980s Miami vibe is iconic. Neon, bright colors, sun beaches, thong bikinis. Um, and then, of course, the number one thing that was all the rage, especially in the late 70s and the early 80s, and kind of started trailing off a little bit at the end there, was cocaine. Cocaine yeah. was the drug of choice. <laughs> I mean, shout they out, used to put it cocaine. in Coca-Cola, so. That's true. They, I mean, it was used for a lot of things. It was used for a lot of things. It was used for a lot of things. But for this specific usage, we are going to talk about the the illegal creation as well as as the uh, one of the largest drug smuggling empires that ever existed, uh, which was headed by the Medellin cartel in Colombia, uh, in Medellin, uh, Colombia. So, uh, for those of you, uh, just a brief overview, since I'm going to be referring to them quite a, quite a lot. Um, if you have had the pleasure of watching such um, important uh visual feasts such as narcos on uh netflix i highly 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 recommend it because it goes into um the top three uh largest um cocaine dealers um as well as organized crime operations the medellin cartel was headed by pablo escobar 
And I'm sure most of you are now nodding your head saying, oh, yeah, no, no, no. I know all about Pablo Escobar. Um, it was a pretty pivotal time because it's also when the U.S. was getting involved in international politics with our DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency. Um, and there was a lot of politics around it uh, and also became a really hot topic, um, both in uh, in social awareness uh, between drug use, but also uh, in crime enforcement, um, how kind of our police operate today because of how those things happened. Uh, it was the creation of a lot of vice laws um, in order to help with racketeering and money laundering and um, other things, which also started taking down a lot of mafia um, families around the same time. So it was a very tumultuous time uh, for organized crime and illegal businesses. Uh, and it all sort of culminated, at least stateside, in the U.S. in Miami. Um, Miami in the late 70s uh, was a hub already for illegal activity. It was also one of the leading areas for um, not only smuggling arms, but smuggling drugs and also smuggling in people. Um, to also set the scene, this was also um, a couple years after Fidel Castro uh, had come to power. Um, so there was a huge exodus of Cubans. Um, who were the main um, traffickers on behalf of the Colombians. So the Colombians oftentimes would use their routes. They would stop off at Haiti. They would stop off in Cuba. They would stop off in the Dominican Republic. A Dominican Republic. They would stop off in uh, Panama and Guatemala um, to use them as not only money laundering stations, but also as uh, stopovers uh, in order to either um, load up freights or load up planes. And then that's how they would get into the U.S. This is sort of before the routes in Mexico opened. Um, and if you're wondering how I can do this all from memory, <laughs> because I've just been staring at Zoe the whole time on our webcam, it's because I love this stuff. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of my thing. And I cannot wait to tell you the story of the three most important Americans when it comes to the drug smuggling operations on behalf of the Medellin cartel in Miami. I've gotta say I've just been staring at you, but just talk at me and it's just incredible. Like <laughs> She's literally just like that. saying these things at my face. Like she's not yep. reading anything. She's kind of looking nope. around as things get dramatic. It was, it was just, I was like, <laughs> just like gawking at her. Like, what the hell? This is amazing. I will take my PhD, please. Yes. Give it to this girl. Yes. This is my dissertation defense. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, there are a lot of players when it comes to um, how these operations happened in Miami. Um, which became a billion-dollar industry coming through Miami in terms of drugs. And I will say that again. That is a billion with a B. This is Jeff Bezos-size-level operations that were happening through here. And I'm going to pick out three important Americans um, that all got wrapped up with the Medellin cartel. Um, so one of the first ones uh, was Max Mermelstein. Um, he was an engineer for a hotel in, Bahama, in the Bahamas uh, first. And he got a start in criminal activity by helping smuggle his wife's relatives into the U.S. from both Colombia and Nicaragua. Uh, one of the individuals he helped smuggle in uh, was Rafael Cardona Salazar, who was known as the sociopath lieutenant of the Medellin cartel, Rafa. After returning to Miami, uh, Max was caught into a very precarious situation with Rafa, where the latter killed his roommate in Max's car. After they dumped and disposed of the body uh, and beholden as a witness to the crime, Rafa pressured Max to enter into the cartel work with him. Uh, and by 1979, Rafa was made a cartel point man for the entire U.S. distribution, which were the main three cities of Miami, New York, and basically all of California, but mostly Los Angeles. Um, 
So, and with Miami being the port of entry for almost all of the cocaine that was being distributed throughout the U.S. Uh, Max, uh, Max Mermelstein started working full-time uh, with Rafa, kind of against his will, um, to help with the increasing demand and supply chain expansion. Uh, he had mentioned that we should start expanding our operations to start recruiting more Americans. Um, that way, if you had more white men involved and you got more of those, more of those legal businesses involved, um, and other people who were already really well established <clears throat> within the markets, it would be a good way to, to quickly expand. Uh, Rafa thought it was a great idea. And so uh, Max Rommelstein was on the lookout to start looking for operators. He found two. Two of them, both of these men, both uh, John Roberts and uh, Mickey Monday, I swear to God that is his actual name, Mickey Monday, um, they became uh, two of the largest smugglers in american history for cocaine i don't i don't want to say that in general because i'm sure there's something that also happened in the prohibition that i'm unaware about so i'm not going to make that grand of a claim but um john roberts uh started as a marijuana dealer in the miami area uh until mermel Sane found him gateway um, he drug. was in I, no, i'm just kidding gateway <laughs> drug exactly <laughs> literally also gateway into like how i get involved in organized crime like Yo, well i'm gonna sell pot a little bit here and there and then all of a sudden cocaine drops on your lap and then you're dealing with like, you know, bombs eventually. So it's pretty insane. Um, so with the rise of uh, cocaine being used very socially, um, especially on the club scene in the late 1970s, disco was the best thing for cocaine, let's be real. Um, it was, uh, he was very enticed by the new drug um, that was reaching the scene. Uh, he ran as a middleman uh, for the Cubans for some time. Um, and then as uh, the Cubans started going through a little bit of a crisis, um, there was a large influx of immigrants and the community started um, kind of crumbling under the pressure and there was their own infighting that was starting to happen in the late 70s and the early 80s. Um, that supply chain started becoming less reliable. Um, so Roberts came up with a plan of like, hey, how about I just work to make to make it where the Colombians sell directly to us. We X out the middleman, we stop going to Cuba and we just come straight to Miami. And so that's sort of what Roberts was um, in charge of. Um, he uh, ingeniously started creating a lot of plans on how to do drop-offs in the Everglades. He worked with the Atlantic coast as well as the Gulf of Mexico, um, both with freighters as well as air travel and air supply drops. Um, and I already talked about Fidel Castro. I'm just moving through my, through my stuff. Um, so uh, as he was starting out, so as he was starting out in 1978, he was making up to 20 to 30 grand a week selling cocaine. And it only went up from there as demand got even higher. So he was, I mean, he was making hundreds of dollars on marijuana before this. And then he started making like actual bricks of cash. Um, Robert showed a lot of promise that made him very in favor with the Medellin cartel um, because he was able to create up various routes that were extremely reliable. He could uh, circumvent the Coast Guard as well as the different uh, Miami Port Authorities. Um, and it is said that he he himself, John Roberts, has probably distributed $2 billion worth of cocaine just himself through the port of Miami on behalf of the Medellin cartel. What? $2 billion worth of cocaine. That's literally insane. <laughs> yeah. So just himself, not not even what his associates picked up, just like what he himself what he ran himself and sold. picked up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What, what he himself ran, picked up, and got. Um, Does and he get to in, keep all of that? <laughs> I mean, yes, but you, but I mean, uh, as with any organized crime, you end up having to pay off 
um, all the people to make sure that your operations are going. So if you're paying off landlords to keep certain units open so you can just pile in cash that you yeah, need to send but back I mean, to he's Columbia. Pocket, pocketing like a oh. lot of that because like billions guy, of dollars. I mean, it's only a couple thousand yeah. to pay off a landlord. Oh, oh yeah, no, but he he had mansions, he had fancy cars, he was living the flashy, flashy, flashy lifestyle. So yeah, no, he he was well taken care of. Um, so like, and then we're gonna on the go flip- sell cocaine after this, right? <laughs> That's the moral of this episode, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we're gonna If you need cash fast, no. No. Um <laughs> No. Don't don't take this as financial advice. I have a different talk that you can listen to about financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a mini episode, how to get financially rich without involving cocaine by Yemma. <laughs> Very important. I'm sure I can come up with something. Um, don't worry, an option still is, you know something illicit i'm sure it'll be fine feed pics it's i that's actually where my brain was going and i didn't know if i needed to breach that topic <laughs> done and done did it for uh, you you're welcome thank you only fans is the way of the future let's be real so <laughs> on the flip side on the flip side of the flashy mansion owning has probably some type of flashy stingray car or muscle car challenger or whatever in his garage um you have mickey monday who is known as macgyver he is literally known as macgyver this dude was the slickest slyest aviator and was the main coordinator for any of the sky-based smuggle operations for the medellin cartel into miami um, to help meet demand, uh, he was an expert at eluding the Coast Guard and Port Authority. He was also the person who recommended that they employ fishermen to go and pick up all of their packages instead of like going for grouper. And was like, hey, instead of going for grouper, you could pick up, you know, X thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars, a hundred thousands of dollars worth of drugs, and we'll pay you that and pay you a fraction of that cost. Um, it worked flawlessly and, and uninterrupted for years. Um, Mickey Monday was also someone, um, he's he's definitely um, a conspiracy theorist um, type of guy. He's sort of, he's a little bit out there, very protective, very private. Um, so he did not live the flashy lifestyle and he sort of, um, he was sort of critical of a lot of his associates who, who decided to live uh, that lifestyle. But also as he came to, to talk about in certain documentaries and, and certain things, uh, that was also the lifestyle of Miami, because it wasn't just the drug lords that were getting rich through all of this. Where else were they going to put that money? They were going to put it back into the community. They were going to put it into real estate investment. They were going to put it into backing companies. They were going to put it into opening restaurants and opening nightclubs and kind of creating this whole lifestyle where they were able to just get rid of all this cash that they were getting and then also create legitimate businesses and launder all that money for actual income. So you had you had every type of service worker who was getting paid by drug money. You had cops who were getting paid by drug money in order to keep these operations up. You had political campaigns fueled by drug money. You had everything under the sun in order to make sure these operations went, and they went flawlessly. Until. <laughs> oh, boy. Until. So the reason why this era is called the Cocaine Cowboys era is because of a specific cartel leader and then also a lot of her, and I will emphasize that again, a lot of her exploits. Yes. 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 
this 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 is she's a bad bitch we like love there's... female crime lord <laughs> oh my gosh she is, she is legitimately the baddest it's she's really, so crazy i don't know what it is but it's really hard for me to like not like criminals are not something you should be like proud of like right you know like people doing bad things people harming other people like not okay not okay at all no. however i don't know what it is about when there's like female crime lords i'm like yes like yes. i am just like fuck yeah like she's she's dismantling the patriarchy while also like cutting dudes tongues out who talk out against her like, yeah, it's, like it's just, just yeah. it kind of it it reminds me of like the whole like controversial like hillary clinton shit that went down mm-hmm. when she was running for president and people are like well she you know secretly got all these people killed and like oh yeah, yeah, yeah back to her and i remember having conversations with my mom about being like that's badass like <laughs> she got away with murder like if that's true if it's true if all of these like claims against her are true Mm-hmm. how do you not think that that's cool like yeah. she and literally there's also, there's also dozens upon hundreds of guys who have done the exact same thing who are just like oh yeah they're just one in a million but then when finally a chick does it you're just like wow okay yeah, she's all right evil. but i'm just Damn. Like, but i think that's kind of like i'm like you know we watch we watch there's a show called how to get away with murder like we're intrigued mm-hmm. by like the perfect crime like how do people actually like hide these things and get away with these things and like if a if a political figure who had who like is in media and has an eye on them mm-hmm. can get away with something as crazy as like having like a hitman take someone out like how is that not cool? yeah like yeah. how is that? i don't but that might be that might be the bad take like that might be the <laughs> wrong take to have like I don't think it's cool that people die or get killed no. or whatever. No. I don't. I don't want anyone to take that away. But, the, but the, for whatever the, the reason, mystique, yeah. The, the 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 mystique and the power behind that and the fact that it's not just an old white man is kind of exhilarating. Yeah, like it's, it's not good. It's not good. It's not a it, good thing. But no, it's still like it's not a good oh, thing at all. But it's just it's kind of like why I've always been intrigued by like the first female serial killer who like. Mm-hmm. got away with killing hundreds of dudes because yep. the law enforcement was looking for a man the whole time like that just yep. is fascinating to me i think it's more like a fascination not necessarily like i'm like rooting for them to win but more yeah. so i'm like it's kind of cool i don't know it, is. it might be yeah. a, it might be the wrong take no one listen to me <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 we're here to acknowledge the takes that are there whether or not they're wrong i think we've come to our own moral standing and we we all understand in the same degree that there are you know we don't condone murder but it's no. kind of cool when the badass chicks on the scene yeah so yep i got you um so the uh the 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 woman the the literal queen of narco trafficking um so La Madrina, the godmother of cocaine, these are all of her nicknames, is Griselda Blanco. Um, and Griselda Blanco uh, was considered the main culprit for all of the cocaine wars from 1978 to 1984. Um, so she, she and her cronies were the ones who were a part of the violence, uh, who were often the perpetrators of the violence, and were also the main 
uh, branch of the Medellin cartel that were that were uh, active in the U.S. So the the way that this uh, this <clears throat> uh, moniker happened uh, of cocaine cowboys it was coined it was coined by the police uh, while the news was on the scene um, after a shootout that happened in the middle of the Miami uh, Dade Mall um, and this is where everything happened I'm sorry not Miami it was it's the Dade Land Mall in Miami there we go not Miami Dade Mall. Um, so it happened in 1979. Uh, the primary scene of the shootout uh, was at a Crown Liquors. Um, however, there was a secondary scene where there was a war wagon, and I put those in quotations because that's what they called it. It was an armored and bulletproof van that had 14 different automatic or high-powered weapons located inside of it. The amount of weaponry shocked the police, uh, and that's when they learned just how well-equipped uh, these drug cartels were starting to become. Uh, in total, there were 86 rounds that were fired um, between the scene at the Crown Liquors and the scene in the parking lot, and two uh, Colombians were left dead at the scene. Uh, the other people who were part of the shootout had fled. Uh, they fled in a different car and they left the war wagon behind. Um, they started actually naming these murders Colombian murders because there were so many that were linked not only to uh, Griselda Blanco, but there were so many that were linked just to drug activity. Um, this was also the start of uh, drive-bys. Uh, Griselda Blanco is actually, um, she's heralded as somebody who made that as a common practice uh, because that was the easiest way for her to send a message. Um, she could do multiple in a day. Um, and it was very hard for police to track both with the surveillance camera with the surveillance thing, which were basically non-existent at this time. Um, but also it was just, you were, you were able to flee, you were able to make a message and she didn't really give a shit who got hurt. Wow. So, I didn't know that, that she yes. started that. Yeah. So she, she sort of made it kind of um, a more popular thing. I, obviously this stuff still happened in Colombia, still happened in Cartagena, still happened in Medellin. Um, it was, but she it, like it popularized becoming, it. In the but US. she definitely popularized it because she said, I don't give a shit who dies. Uh, a lot of times when she would order murders, uh, she would say if there were any children in the house, you should kill them too. Whoa. All right. I take yeah. back what I said about her earlier. Yeah. She's, she's nasty. Um, but uh, a lot of it was also um, kind of what Pablo Escobar went to or, or went through where, where she was um, both he and her were heralded as this matriarchal, patriarchal saint. Right. Um, for, for communities that were poor, for communities that were underdeveloped, you know, they, they funneled their money into community building up, creating soccer clubs, um, creating community investments and started being beloved by a community because if a community loves you, then they're not going to turn you in. Right. Um, but as more of her exploits uh, kept getting more and more selfish, just the same as as Pablo's were, got more and more selfish over the years to the point where he exploded a plane because he didn't want shit to get caught. Like he, he killed a uh, hundred and something people yeah. because he just didn't, he didn't like one person on the plane. Um, so yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's one of those, uh, reach too high. The Icarus wings fell off. You're no longer beloved. And now, now you're the scourge of the earth. Right. So, so Griselda started there like Pablo. And then as things came out and as people turned against her, um, a lot of a lot of shit went down, which is why this this got so so hectic. Um, so the cocaine wars in themselves were between the different factions of people who were trying to control 
the cocaine distribution. So the smugglers and the folks that I mentioned before weren't really a part of this, uh, as far as we know, and as far as they've let anybody else know. Um, this was uh, specifically turf wars between Colombian gangs. Um, eventually, uh, you had the cartel wars. You had the Cali um, gang versus uh, the Medellin cartel. Um, so that that started um, happening. Then you had the Ochoa brothers that from the Medellin cartel that started to break off, and it just it became disastrous, as with money and power and drugs. So sort of you know par for the course. Um, uh, and also the other thing that was that was um, different than most uh, major city during this time during this time. Um, I grew up in Chicago. I know how violent Chicago has been for decades. Uh, but the thing that was different than other cities, even though cities had the same or higher murder rates, were the number of mass murders that happened in Miami, which which is what made it so deadly to a lot of people. Um, there were so many um, instances of violence where anywhere from three to 12 people died in an incident. Jeez. So, so there, there, there was, an, and even a cop had mentioned, if there was a murder in the morning, oftentimes it wasn't even reported in the afternoon news because there was already something else that happened. That is how frequent some of these murders happened. Yeah, it was happened. like multiple hits a day. Multiple hits a day. It was inundated um, people, and, and it's not even to mention all the people and the property that was damaged through all of this um, throughout the city as well. Um, so everyone became terrified. Uh, the other thing that started causing a lot of issues, um, specifically uh, for police and law enforcement, um, was that every resident in the Miami area started picking up guns. Um, in the past five, this is a direct quote from the Time Magazine article, Paradise Lost. In the past five years, 220,000 guns have been sold to Dade County, an average of more than seven guns for every household. Jesus fuck. Yep. And in 1980, uh, it was the largest gun sales year um, it, from the year previous in 1979 when the shootout happened. It, the, the gun purchases rose by 46%. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, of course, the police were like, well, shit, we need to get our crap together because we need more people on the streets because that's obviously the best way to enforce things. It's not. Um, so the police went through a blind hiring frenzy. Uh, which uh, most notably, they removed the rule that you could not have any drug charges or you could not be a drug user or you could not have a previous felony. They said, if you want to be a cop and we want to give you this, a felony. Yes, yes, you're squinting at me. Felony. They removed <laughs> that from the law. Yes, 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 I know. So they, they obviously didn't say like murder, like you weren't allowed to do stuff. But like if you assaulted someone... You know, eh, we could be okay with it. wonder how we got here. Yeah. Don't worry, it didn't last too long. Because of the blind hiring frenzy, there was easy and widespread corruption. Through one... I wonder why! <laughs> yeah. Through one graduating class, there, there, there was one graduating class of police officers where either half of them were dead because they died and they were killed in action... Jesus. Or they ended up in prison. Oh, my God. One graduating class. There was not a good cop in that entire bunch. So uh, it unfortunately led to a lot of men and women who were undertrained and were put in harm's way, resulting in a huge spike of police officer death. This obviously also fueled a lot of the media frenzy and saying, you know, it's cops, it's drug cartels against cops. Cops are losing. This is awful. This is terrible. 
Um, so the DEA and the FBI had to get involved. Um, and there was also an approval of lethal force to be used as a tactic um, to uh, eventually quash the rampant violence. So there, there, there was, there was tactical gear that was released. There was, there were very specific drug cartel elimination task force um, who would not only burn buildings that had drugs in it or, you know, annihilate people or use lethal force without specific judicial restraint uh, in order to combat this. Um, so um, Reagan, um, Vice President Bush, and then also, um, yeah, Vice President Bush also made, um, I almost said governor, I don't think he was a governor at this time, uh, his son. Um, they uh, they created the Southern Florida Task Force, which was uh, starting to organize all units, both law enforcement, government agencies, um, Coast Guard, and Port Authorities, uh, all under the same umbrella so they could start communicating a little bit better. Um, so just to give you some other really quick statistics, 70% um, of the marijuana and 70% of the cocaine imported to the U.S. passed through South Florida. So 70% of the drugs that were used and sold during this time all passed through Southern Florida, not necessarily Miami, but also Fort Lauderdale uh, and West Palm Beach. Yeah, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. <laughs> um, when the FBI issued its annual list of the top 10 most crime-ridden cities, uh, South Florida made top three, um, including Miami was in first place, West Palm Beach was in fifth, and Fort Lauderdale was eighth. Um, so that includes, you know, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, the, the typical Detroit, the typical ones that you would expect um, uh, to be on there, Atlanta. Right. Um, so um, drug smuggling could be, um, it could be called the region's major industry. It was worth anywhere from $7 billion to $12 billion a year. And to put that into perspective, Tourism in the entire state of Florida was nine billion dollars, gross, and uh, versus twelve billion dollars for real estate for the entire state, not just Southern Florida, for the entire state of Florida. Jeez. Um, this this is my favorite. This is my personal favorite. Miami's Federal Reserve Branch has a currency surplus of five billion dollars during this time because there is so much drug money that is being passed through. And being deposited into all these banks from all the people getting paid and all the people who have this, that they had a surplus of $5 billion put going through in their bank. The bank. Like yep. people put all that money in the bank. Yep. Um, and a lot of, and a lot of banks started getting in trouble, especially when all these vice laws got passed later on because they were openly laundering money. Um, so uh, drug money had <laughs> kind of, kind oh. of yes and no. Okay. Because there, there, there is a point where you should notice an influx of cash to that capacity. Right. There, there, okay. there does need to be certain. And now there's different reporting structures, and now you know people have to claim why certain things are happening. But, the, but this was also cash that was being paid for, um, for real estate investment. This was cash yeah. that was paying back loans. This was cash right. that was paying back a lot of things, um, that that were outstanding that they were just getting paid that they, that they were just doing it. So, um, do you know if like bank robberies also went up at this time? So, so fun story. So fun story. There was actually um, in a couple of the documentaries that I watched, um, there is a documentary called Cocaine Cowboys and I highly recommend everybody watch it. It came out in 2006 and it's fantastic. And it actually has interviews from John Roberts and also Mickey Monday um, in it. So yeah. Um, and uh, so 
a lot of times when cash theft happened, they could not call the police because there would be no way for them to know that was happening. So a lot of times people were hit on their way to the bank or people would wait outside banks and just pick up bundles full of cash from 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 um, drug smugglers that they never had an opportunity to claim and they wouldn't be able to report that to the police. There were police on stakeouts watching this happen who knew that they couldn't do anything because why would they it's you're stealing you're stealing stolen money. Right. So they're they're not going to break their cover in order to stop a theft of literally illegal and illicit gain. Right, cuz then you have to prove where the money came from and you can't exactly. do that. So and and if you just stop the cash flow, you're not stopping the drugs and you're not finding the main people who are behind it. So they they had to start thinking really strategically. They had to stop violence that was happening on the streets to keep the public safe. But at the same time, they also had to work strategically and had to plan right. properly to not blow their cover in right. order to get some of the hot head honchos because you got, I mean, this is an operation where you have to cut off the head of the snake. Right. And you can't just get the low level crimes because then you kind of block yourself from getting those head people exactly um so and then the the other one uh that i found was really fun was uh banks were overrun with fresh cash uh before the cocaine wars there was an average in a bank of 12 million dollars deposited into banks so on average that's how much they usually had on hand by the time uh a few years were underway this was like 1983 one bank saw an increase of deposits up to 600 million dollars oh my god they had to rent storage space and they had to call in the National Guard to help move money into storage facilities because the Federal Reserve ran out of money. It's great. I love this. I love this. <laughs> Can you just imagine just like trucks full of money going into a nondescript storage facility followed by army men? Like right? just the best. Um, the Miami Federal Reserve also had a surplus of $500 billion at the end of all the cocaine wars. That was more than any other Federal Reserve in the country and any of them combined. That is how much cash flow was running through Miami at this time. And I will also remind you, in the 1980s, there was a recession. What the fuck? <laughs> so so other, other cities were going through downturns, economic well. toil, mobs. And just, you know, people were getting upset. There was a gas shortage in the 70s that was still affecting shit. And there there was all this stuff. And Miami's over here being like, oh, I'm just going to buy 12 more bottles of Don Perignon. It'll just be, it'll be fine. Like, yeah, I'll buy a Ferrari. Fuck it. Why not? I'm, you know what? I already got a mansion in Fort Lauderdale. I'm going to go ahead and buy one in Miami and then one in West Palm Beach too. <laughs> Why not? Fuck it. Let's do it. So, so eight so so 1980s Miami is is the quintessential of of wealth and excess till you drop. Everybody had a Rolex watch. Everybody had a nice car. Everybody had anything under the sun. If you were just a service member, um, if you were just a, a a service person in the industry and you were at a restaurant, you were likely to get hundred dollar tips because people just were able to get out that fucking cash. Right. They just would leave it just because they can. Just because they could. Um, so, okay. Those, those are my fun statistics that I found. So all those are accredited to the articles from, uh, Time Magazine, as well as New York Times. Okay. So to get to the big cartel leaders, the FBI and the DEA focused on the smugglers first. So they said, in order to get to the violent guys, we're going to cut off how they're, how they're operating and the money that they're getting so they can stop buying guns, so they can stop being protected by the police. We're just going to start there. So obviously the first person that they find is Mermelstein. 
Mermelstein, the 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 um, unwilling participant in cartel um, anything, immediately flips. Has no problem being like, "Yep, I'll be your informant. Put a put a wiretap on me. I'm ready." And this was probably by 1983, 1984. So this was um, so 1981 was the most violent year of the cocaine wars. And that's also when everything started flipping. That's when Griselda Blanco started kind of losing a lot of her attachments uh, to the cartels. Um, she was kind of okay with, with people being kidnapped and murdered. She was, she was okay with, with how operations went in Miami. Um, she's linked to over 2000 murders, uh, whether or not she's ordered them or maybe per somehow perpetrated some of them herself. Um, and, uh, in the documentary cocaine cowboys, you actually talk to one of her senior lieutenants, um, who I think himself has killed at least 30 people. Whoa. So yeah, he's, he's not a, he's not a nice guy. He's, he's unfortunately charming in the, um, in the actual documentary. But then once you start learning like all the shit that he did, you're just like, Oh God, no, ew, this is a terrible away. person. Yeah. yeah. Ew, get away. Um, so Mermelstein, uh, corners Roberts, um, basically, uh, gets Roberts in trouble, uh, with an underwire, with an under, um, cover sting, uh, quickly turns him into an informant. So now they have Mermelstein who knows all of the operations from Miami to New York, to California, to Chicago, to Detroit. He knows everything. He's Rafa's top man. Um, and then now you have Roberts who knows how they do it. So, the FBI and the DEA have everything that they need, and they start just dismantling things uh, one by one. Uh, Monday was able to elude uh, capture when they started going for him in 1986. Uh, he actually eluded capture until 1992, and he hid out in the Everglades until then. He also turned into a witness eventually. Um, all right, so let's go into Griselda Blanco here real quick. Um, so as I said, she was in charge of the distribution of cocaine from uh, Miami uh, all the way to California and New York. Um, at her peak, it was estimated uh, that she would be raking in $80 million per month in just cocaine sales. Month? Just cocaine sales. $80 million a month in just cocaine sales. Yep. Bro, um, that's so much. <laughs> yes. Um, she, unfortunately, was a fucking psychopath. Um, and her murderous sprees are what made her the focus of a lot of the anti-drug and anti-vice efforts in Miami. Uh, because she was so brazen with a lot of her actions, um, instead of, you know, leaving it to, like, just the head of uh, a warring cartel or just the head of a rival gang or just something just to send a message, she would kill everyone. She she killed them and then would kill their families. Like, oh, she, she was ruthless and she was mean. Um, so uh, eventually she was captured uh, and indicted. Uh, she was fleeing between California and Miami um, during 1985-1986. She was eventually captured. Um, and uh, she was sentenced to a very measly 10 to 20 years in prison. Um, that was while they were starting to build up a little bit more of her cartel-related uh, cartel related pieces. But because of a lot of vice laws and other things that were passed, especially since she was breaking federal crimes by going in between states, they were able to get her um, on some things just to get her in prison. Right. Didn't really stop her. She was still doing all of her operations through her son. From prison. Um, from prison. Uh, and she was still able to communicate with Columbia uh, during this time, so through her son. So everything was still in operations. This is also when a lot of things were shifting to go through Mexico. Um, so the cash flow was, or the the cocaine flow wasn't as big um, through Miami uh, moving forward, but it was still uh, a pretty important vein um, of that. So remember when I talked about uh, her top lieutenant 
yeah. that's interviewed in the in the in the thing or in the um, documentary Cocaine Cowboys. Uh, his name's Ribby, and um, this is the most outrageous '80s thing that you will ever hear. Oh my god! Um, her main hitman, Ribby, was caught in a sex scandal with the secretary of the district attorney's office in Miami. Oh my god! So, essentially. Who Rivi was the star witness against Blanco because he was the only person who was alive at this point who could say, Blanco told me to do this. Blanco told me to do that. So because of that, because he had a sex scandal with a secretary of the DA's office, his entire witness testimony was thrown out because of tampering. That's, um, what the? Yep. Ah! It's, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. It, it's it was just one of those oh my god was that so on she just, purpose or just like nobody really knows um i he, he may have been taking advantage of the situation he may have just been like yeah this is you know this is a way that i can get my boss off but at the same time like he didn't really respect her so like i don't think he tried that hard right. um and he was and he was already gonna be in prison for life like right. he, so it he was, was more of like just a funny coincidence yeah maybe his last hurrah sexually before he fucking goes away forever so her case crumbled because he was no longer a star witness and she got a slap on the wrist in terms of sentencing because they couldn't prove enough. Um, she was eventually released in 2004. She actually suffered a heart attack in 2002 uh, while in prison. Um, and then uh, and as a real big, like, fuck you, uh, they deported her after she got released. So she went back to Columbia uh and unfortunately shortly thereafter because she made a number a number of enemies uh she was killed in broad daylight at a butcher shop that was also a liquor store and she was shot multiple times from a moving vehicle oh that's some that's some ironic justice that's some just desserts yeah 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 so as, some as, irony. Yep. As as the as the uh, lovely reporter pointed out, it ended as it started. Yeah. Well, also, I'm so. assuming that because she was deported, she didn't, and also had been in prison, she didn't have like the money. Her, her still had some stuff. Um, and then it was one of her other sons that got killed. Um. While while everything happened, and then just all just all of the family grievances that she had yeah. between all the people that, she, that that she fucked over that were still in in Colombia, like it was it was only a it was only a um, matter of time, and it, that I think that was in like two thousand and six. That was like two years after she got deported. Gotcha. So she didn't she definitely didn't have the same connections that she had before. I think most of her wealth um, was seized. I think her husband at the time also divorced her. So she wasn't, she, she couldn't use him as a siphon to get right. all of that money out of her name. So as far as I know that, yes, that, that she, she was just, she, she wasn't destitute, but she wasn't as well connected. Right, and she wasn't, means that she probably couldn't afford the protection that she had before. And she made so many not. enemies before that she definitely didn't have anyone to just protect yeah. her in general. Yeah. So, well, it, and what happens with a lot of these with a lot of these people, which is why um, certain crime folks never got in trouble until they were meant to get in trouble, is because they, she just didn't know when to stop. Right. She just kept reaching, and and she just kept doing revenge murders, and she just kept being so ruthless and 
nasty and 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 over the top and overzealous that it just burned her eventually yeah so and i think people probably would have given her a break uh not only just because she was a woman and because she was a mother because that that is that is um a pretty centric value for a lot of these these people as family but she showed that she just didn't care so why why would they have why would they care back um so so yeah so cocaine wars um, I could go into I could go into the the statistics that happened, but um, the the most important one was in um, in 1981 uh, there were almost 700 murders that were linked to um, to the Colombian to the lot. to the Colombian cartel. Yeah, so it was it was it was brutal. It was it was a brutal brutal time. But at the same time, you had a lot of lasting effects that happened on Miami. Miami skyline would not be what it is today without the billions of dollars of real estate investment from cartels. You would not have the same nightlife. You would not have the same politicians who are in power, who are who at the time and, and who up until I think probably the early 2000s were primarily um, Latinx. Right. Um, so, you know, it was, it, they, they gave a lot of their money back into these communities and Miami and Florida in itself is very much a Latin American hub. Um, Latin American, Caribbean, South American, um, you know, it's it's where a lot of refugees go. It's where a lot of families get their start. It's a lot where a lot of first generation Americans get their start. Um, and especially, uh, and and that was important. That that was important not only to um, to these cartel families, but it, it was important to preserve that as a culture. Right, um, yeah. And so, a, a lot of them, you know, as bad as they were, also took that pretty seriously. So, they made Spanish speaking newspapers. They made uh, or say Spanish speaking Spanish language newspapers. They they supported um, local community events. They um, built up churches. They did youth groups. They did you know they they did all of these things. Obviously, they were grooming some of these um, kids to you know be drug dealers. Uh, but drug dealers. But at the same time, like you're giving them recreational activities. Like earlier, you mentioned like a soccer group. So like yeah, yeah like they were. That's, that's what like... Pablo Escobar was the most famous for. Is that he he took the slums of Medellin and he supported it and he gave yeah. them things that they should care about. Right. Um, so let's go back to my notes here. Super duper quick. I already said this. Yeah. Nightlife, real estate, luxury goods, hotels, resorts, restaurants, and many other good life ideals flourished in Miami among all of this bloodshed. And it became, it became so notable. Um, you know, I, th- I think it was one year. Uh, they can trace $3.2 billion of real estate investment in, in infrastructure um, costs that were funneled back into the city just by drug money. Wild. Yep. Um, so the local economy was basically recession proof during all of this, um, especially while the rest of the country struggled. Um, they attracted, uh, because of how much investment was happening in Miami, it attracted further legitimate investments where um, uh, Latin and South American um, businesses or businesses that operated in those areas started creating headquarters there. So you had this huge corporate boom that was also happening in Miami that fe- that, that, that gave it a legitimacy and also gave it a lasting effect because you still have a lot of those companies that are still there if they haven't gone offshore and tried to get tax breaks because they're dicks. Um, and one of the main reporters during this time for the Miami Herald um, has a really famous quote, <clears throat> and it said, how many people have to die for a shining skyline? Whoa. And I thought that that was very poignant. I thought that was very poignant. Um, and the way that she said it um, was uh, during the documentary was just, you know, like, like, this is great. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we have this, but a lot of people yeah. died 
for this to happen. And, and that's just the people like in the U.S. Civilians, like not just people yeah. in those groups, but like people that weren't involved at all. Yep. And and it became this it be it became this idealized piece of the '80s where you had wealth and you had power and you had luxury, um, and you had all these things, and it became immortalized in a lot of pop culture. Um, most notably, Miami Vice. Entire TV show about dramatized cops and and narc uh, narcotics investigations based around cocaine. This came out in 1985. This was just when most of the the height of the murders was coming off of its high end. And they were just like, yeah, let's make an entire TV show about narcotics, about it, about all these people. And then we're going to have, and I mean, and to be fair, it is a very pivotal piece of American, uh, Americana television. Right. It's, um, you know, the way that they did fight scenes, the way that they did shootouts, the way that they did um, drama, the way that they portrayed sex, the way that they did a lot of things was very, um, was was obviously very dramatized, but it also was this nice little time capsule of Miami in the eighties. What where did they film? They filmed in Miami, so it was Miami in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other one, and this is the one that I told you that my boyfriend uh, told me about. Rick Ross. Rick Ross is not. That's not his real name. That's his stage name based off of Freeway Rick Ross who was a cocaine dealer during this time in Los Angeles, who was getting cocaine from the Medellin cartel. Oh my God. That's not his real name. So so the the fact that a person picked a stage persona based on a cocaine, who's from Florida, who said, yeah, this is, this is pivotal. This is part of this. I'm going to take that and I'm going to be a badass boss. There you go. And then of course, a very pivotal and important piece of American film history, Scarface. Yes. Scarface was filmed in 1983, also in Miami, and was a legend and is a legendary gangster movie, which is probably Al Pacino's most famous role. Um, and he was a cocaine dealer and crime mogul, uh, Tony Montana, um, and is solidified in movie history as one of the most prolific legendary troubled protagonists in film history. Um, which leads us to some other influences on a very pivotal video game. If you haven't guessed it by now, uh, it probably means you didn't grow up with a PlayStation or you had parents who didn't let you play this entire series because they thought it was too violent. (laughs) Um, but, uh, both Scarface and John Roberts and Miami Vice all had this very important influence on Grand Theft Auto Vice City. GTA Vice City, baby. All right. So GTA Vice City was released in 2002 um, after the smashing success of the industry-altering game Grand Theft Auto 3. Grand Theft Auto 3 is proclaimed to be the game that changed how any of these games work, um, whether it was the third-person narrative, uh, the different operations that you could do in the game, driving, shooting, the free range of it, the free world uh, aspect of it. All of it was there. And they said, hey, let's take all of that goodness from three. Let's put you in a time capsule and then we'll place you back in the 1980s in a place that sort of looks like Miami named Liberty City. You are played or you are playing the main character, Tommy Versetti, uh, who is the main protagonist, who is listed in almost every ranking out there within at least the top 10 characters, top 10 protagonists that you play. 
And the reason why he's picked out of all of the game, uh, all of the Grand Theft Auto franchise is because he is the most amoral. He has some of the best one-liners and he's played by Ray Liotta. (laughs) Ray Liotta, who is Henry Hill in The Godfather, does the voice of Tommy Versetti in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. It's too perfect. It's too perfect. It's too spot on. It's literally 1980s mafioso machismo. It's that that's literally what all of that is. Um, so and what we come to know as the playable violence in GTA is indeed based on all of the crimes and things that happened in 1980s, including drive-bys, drug deals, smuggle runs, payoffs, hits and assassinations, um, uh, mass shootings, robberies, and turf wars. All of these are playable features, not only in Vice City, but moving forward. So it becomes super pivotal and um, even uh, both in the complex article and then also from um, Rockstar themselves, they often uh, mention that Scarface, the Scarface soundtrack, um, and uh, the fact that they were able to get someone like Ray Liotta, they immediately gravitated towards a character like John Roberts, who was a very noted drug trafficker, but it was very charismatic. Um, and, and he turned into a government informant and that's a, that's a playable choice within the game itself. Oh, to turn into a government informant? Yep. Whoa. He doesn't, but it's okay. (laughs) I don't, I don't don't know a whole lot about Grand Theft Auto. I, um, the, the one that I paid attention to the most was San Andreas. Okay. Um, and then Grand Theft Auto 5. And, and oddly enough, um, San Andreas, Grand Theft Auto 5 and... Uh, Vice City are all the top three high, most highly rated of right. the series. Yeah. The only so. thing I ever knew from that game was that um, if you go into a strip club and you go into like some far corner and kind of like glitch out, you can get the stairway to heaven, which Ooh. apparently there's like an invisible like staircase that, that you just like above the strip club that you just walk up like infinitely um into the sky like i love it i don't understand but that was that's like the one thing that i remember knowing um my parents were definitely the that game looks too violent and not appropriate we're not buying it for you type parents we got vice city after we got san andreas um my brother played those he wasn't like super into them he just liked the copious amounts of mindless violence that you could do fair which hello grand theft auto um but the the vice city one i very much remember it's it's aesthetic and everything that it did um within it the mansion um in the in the game uh tommy versetti's mansion in the game is based off of a real mansion in uh miami which is based off of the mansion that tony montoya tony montana montana had in scarface so like the links are pretty literal um when it comes both to influences and when it comes to that. But, um, yeah, I'll, I mean, everybody says, and I mean, just the fact that you had Ray Liotta do his voice in, and I said good, I said the Godfather, I meant Goodfellas. I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, I meant good, I meant Goodfellas. I'm sorry. It's Henry Hill from Goodfellas. Just, yeah. Are you talking to me? Yeah, that, that, that's the one. Do I amuse you? Anyway. Okay. Now I'm done. I'm done throwing out ones that don't, or lines that don't have to deal with any of that. So. <laughs> And then say hello to my little friend of Scarface. There we go. Now, now we're back. We're back. Now we're back. We're on it. Freudian yeah. slip. It's fine. It's fine. Um, and I think those were all 
of the main things that I had. But yeah, just 1980s Miami, fucking clusterfuck. Made some really important pop culture stuff. We're still Seriously living wild. with a, yeah, we're still living with a city that benefited um, from it. And uh, cocaine is bad, y'all. Don't do it. <laughs> I mean, Don't now do it's it. like really bad. Like now, yeah, the problem with it. drugs today is that like back at least back in the eighties, you could get like if you got a drug, you knew it was that drug, right? Like yep. you knew it was just it was just cocaine. You want to try cocaine? Yep. It's just cocaine. Nowadays, you're like, here's some cocaine. But it's not really cocaine. I think it's like 5% cocaine, rat poison, some Windex, and some powdered makeup that I had on my counter. Like, Don't forget, it also has some x lax in there, just in case. Just in case. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like not as, uh, just don't do drugs anymore. Do it's not fun. <laughs> no, don't do drugs. Just don't do drugs. Um, there's other ways to make money. We can tell you about fee picks in another, in another discussion. Don't worry. <laughs> we'll do a side episode where we discuss fee picks. That was I great. love it. I love. That. Thanks. That that was a fun, uh, fun thing. Oh, and by the way, American Desperado is a book that was written with John Roberts. He was not the sole author. Um, and then, uh, uh, Cocaine Cowboys is a fantastic documentary. I already mentioned that. And Nikki Monday is the only living person from that era and that crime family still living. Today? Nikki Monday is the only one still living today. Yes. Shit. Yep. Crazy. Yep. There you go. Wow. And uh, I mean, I guess Rivy is alive, but he's asleep. So I don't know if that counts. He's basically sentenced to death. So he's a bad man. Bad man. So I'm ready. Take it away. <laughs> well, so how you feel about all of this, like drug wars and, and cartels and all that stuff is how I yep. feel about cults. Like, I I think cults and serial killers when it comes to true crime are, like, my two favorite, like, all-time favorite, like, topics. I'm just fully fascinated by, like, how it all works. Um, but cults specifically, I mean, there's just, there's, there's so much. There's just so much. Um, I've watched endless amounts of documentaries, series, television series, listened to podcasts. There's actually a full-on pod like there's a podcast that does like every episode is about like a different cult and i think it's mm -hmm. called zealots um yeah you podcast that one to me i haven't listened to it yet though yeah and so like they just talk about cults like it's just i'm just fascinated there was a cw show called cult Ooh. that was like um it it only had one season i'm very upset about it um it, it was so good, uh, but it was uh, the guy from Vampire Diaries who plays Alaric, who also uh, is in, like, a bunch of other things, um, mm -hmm. but he, uh, isn't he, like, Warner and, like, Legally Blonde? I'm pretty sure that's who it is. Pretty sure that's who that is, yeah. He's just super young, so I always, like, <laughs> look so different. Anyway, Alaric from Vampire Diaries left the show briefly to be on a different CW show called Cult, which was about a dude investigating a TV show on the CW called Cult that had a cult based around it. Like, the, the cult in the show was actually, like, a running... There was, like, a cult around the show. Like, the fandom was a cult that was, like, following 
the cult that was on the show and he was investigating it it was it was very meta very inceptiony very fucking good uh ended with a cliffhanger and then got canceled i was very upset no i hate when that happens very very highly upset and then of course alaric went back to the vampire diaries so like dark um, matter all over again for me i'm so sad yeah i just hit my microphone i'm so sorry um (laughs) so yeah so cults are my shit um now let's 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 talk about cults i'm ready so it's estimated that there have been tens of thousands of what's called new religious movements created worldwide um new religious movements do not always fall under what we know to be cults um but any religious group claiming to be christian but existing outside of the christian orthodoxy is considered as a new religious movement and Christian cults specifically are new religious movements with Christian backgrounds and are seen as theologically deviant. So I love that word, by the way, that's deviant. one of my favorite words. I, I love deviant. <laughs> that, that was also my major was, was a focus in deviance and deviant, deviant behavior. Yes. I love how many times they say it in, in Mindhunter. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so, so the term new religious movements was coined, um, following all of these different sects that broke off sex as in like s-e-c-t-s not sex as in s-e-x um i realized that it sounds the same phonetically uh, yeah. phonetically yeah but um all these different like groups broke off of christianity and christianity claimed that because they didn't fall under their orthodoxy they were to be known as new religious movements um so that they would be separate from christianity itself however a large portion of these new religious movements turned into to, to cults, like just Mark. by just how things are. Um, so a cult is a social group that is defined by its unusual religious, spiritual, or philosophical beliefs, often centered around a particular object or goal. And there are often typically four aspects that make up a cult group. So there's usually a charismatic leader that is, you know, kind of instigating the whole thing. Um, There is a transcendent belief system. There is a system of control over the members and a system of influence. So the subcategories of a cult include destructive, doomsday, political, polygamist, racist, and terrorist groups. Okay. So all of those can be subcategories of what fall under like cult activity. Got it. And I am going to focus on religious and doomsday cults as they relate to the religious fanaticism and separatism. Uh, and that all exists within the game Far Cry 5. And we're also going to talk about the various cults that led to the creation of Project at Eden's Gate, which is the cult in Far Cry 5. So, let's start. I'm cheering. You can't see me, viewers, but I'm cheering. Yeba is fist pumping aggressively and excitedly. I I really like this game, and I really like the portrayal of everything. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Um, So... Doomsday cult is an expression used to describe cults that believe in apocalypticism and million millionaireism. 
millenarianism. It's a very hard word. Let's not talk about it. Um, which I initially thought sounded like military. I thought it was going to yeah. be about like, you know, like force. Um, but it's actually the belief that there is a fundamental transformation of society coming, uh, like incoming, and nothing will be the same after. Oh, okay. So believing that like there is a big event that will change everything. Got it. Um, that is what uh, Doomsday Cult specifically centers around. Sweet. So, um, and honestly, I'm surprised cults aren't like currently thriving this year. Like with everything that's going on, I'm surprised cults aren't like more vocal. Um, oh my God. Ain't that the truth? So the expression was first used in the study of the Unification Church of the United States, which um, if that doesn't sound familiar, maybe the word Moonies will. Uh, the Unification Church began in the 1950s when missionaries from Japan and South Korea were sent to the U.S. by the International Unification Movement and their leader, Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Uh, in the 1970s, it became controversial due to its theology, political activism, and their lifestyle. Moon did not believe in the idea of romantic love, but did claim that God intended that Jesus, a second Adam, would uh, get married. This perfect right. union would undo the damage from Adam and Eve's original sin, and because of Jesus's crucifixion, a third Adam was needed uh, to come in and fix shit. So members of the church, be a man. what? But who says it needs to be a man? Sorry. <laughs> members of the church regard Moon as as that third Adam, and he, along with his second wife which I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry. Hak Jahan, maybe? I hope. I'm sorry. Um, are, the, are known as the true parents. And married couples and their families within the church are considered the true children. Um, because of Moon's rejection of romantic love, marriages are arranged and performed as mass rituals called the Holy Marriage Blessing Ceremony. The largest blessing ceremony Moon presided over occurred in 2009 when 30,000 couples, so this is 60,000 people, 30,000 couples were blessed at Seoul's Olympic Stadium. Holy he crap. He wed 30,000 couples. Now, under this religion, uh, newlywed couples were to refrain from sex for 40 days after their okay. marriage. Um, and then they were to consummate their marriage during a three-day ritual. The couple uh, was instructed to use uh, sexual positions dictated by Moon. And uh, oddly enough, though, like despite having the term doomsday cult first associated with Moonies, they never reached the point of destruction. Um, or even self-destruction, and that actually they still somewhat thrive today uh, as they've invested a ton of money that they acquired from their members into, like, big businesses. Like, they took money from their members and just, like, put it into real estate, and, and similar to the cartel, they put it back into the community, back into mm -hmm. real estate, back into backing businesses, backing, you know, political stuff, like... And so they, they've, like, created, like, a thriving economy within itself. But they still, despite Moon having uh, died, the religion is still kind of active. Um, 
so they didn't like they don't really fully talk about their like doomsday apocalyptic like belief Mm -hmm. um but it definitely centers around you know the coming of a big moment that will change all um so a doomsday cult doesn't have to be violent or destructive but also often results that way due to religious fanaticism or their leader's sense of losing control so often it's not they think that like the end will come with the apocalypse and that's why they're doomsday they're not necessarily thinking that the end will come through violence or self-destruction however because of you know a big it's usually the leader that claims that the apocalypse is now and that's why we must do something crazy um rather than actually waiting for an apocalyptic moment so examples of religious fanaticism fall under funny enough two religions okay only two out of all the religions only two (laughs) um there's christian uh extremism and islamic Mm -hmm. extremism okay Now, what's not funny, though, is despite their equal involvement in extremist acts, only one is widely labeled as like a terrorist group, Um, which, you know, is probably due to racism. (laughs) And very, very much politically motivated by who's in power. Right. Because, you know, like white Christians can't be uh, can't be terrorists. Right. Of course not. Yeah, they totally fucking can be. Um, I said that with a deadpan. Yeah. (laughs) I'm being sarcastic. Yes. Like, they're, they're, they both can be, they both can engage in terrorist activity. Neither um, are fundamentally good. Yes. So, the first example of violent Christian fanaticism was during the Middle Ages with the Crusades. Mm. They enacted war to try and recre- reclaim their holy land from Muslims. They killed Muslims, Jews, even native Christians. Um, but they saw this war as self-defense, as it was their duty to preserve the sole truth of the Christian church. Another prominent form of their fanaticism was centuries later with the Spanish Inquisition. Oh, it yeah. was the monarchy's way of making sure their people stayed within the Catholic Christianity, and they attacked their internal enemies. So punishment and death came to those who refused to admit their errors. Um, so as you can see... Bad shit. Um, now, there are a few Including cults. Including in lots of pain. Yeah. Now, there are a few cults that directly inspired or relate to Far Cry 5. So let's start with the most prominent inspiration, which happens to be David Koresh. Yes. <laughs> so David Koresh was actually born as Vernon Wayne Howell. Uh, August 17th, 1959, in Houston, Texas, to his 14-year-old single mother, Bonnie Sue Clark. Before Koresh was born, uh, his father had met another teenage girl and abandoned Bonnie Sue, which left her to then run off with a violent alcoholic, leaving Koresh with his grandmother. She later returned three years later when Koresh was seven. Uh, She had gotten married to some other dude and um, had a kid with him and then, you know, like, I guess, took Koresh back. Okay. And raised him. Uh, Koresh was dyslexic and put into special ed classes only to later drop out of high school during his junior year. When he was 19, he impregnated a 15-year-old girl. 
Um, and afterwards, he claimed to be a born-again Christian and uh, joined the church that his mother had been a part of and became infatuated with the pastor's daughter. After reading a verse in the Bible uh, that, uh, that he said was a sign from God, he demanded that the pastor's daughter be his wife, uh, pushed really hard, and the pastor basically kicked him out of the congregation demanded good lord demanded yes as like god's god's plan told don't him himself. think he has time for that <laughs> just making think you're just making shit up sir sorry <laughs> so he moved to waco texas in 1981 and joined the branch davidians the davidian movement was spearheaded in 1930 by a bulgarian immigrant victor hutef hautef butchering that um who descended from aspects of the standard seventh-day adventist uh theology uh hutif or hautif again i'm gonna say hutif let's go with that just rolling with it um believed that the messiah prophesied in the biblical book of isaiah was not jesus but was yet to come so hutif argued that he and his supporters would help bring about the future of the davidic kingdom mirroring the empire of biblical king david during they would do this during the apocalypse and Mm -hmm. that apocalypse he taught was imminent any day now uh so it was hutif who first purchased the compound in waco texas that he called mount carmel um, after the biblical mountain of the same name uh, there, Hutif led a small Christian religious community that believed Mount Carmel would be the center of that divine kingdom following the apocalypse that he spoke of. So after Hutif's death in 1955, one of his followers, Benjamin Rodin, claimed to be hearing messages from God telling him to continue Hutif's work. Rodin claims, uh, or his claims split the group, uh, as did the claims of Hudif's widow, Florence, who had prophesied that the world would end in 1959. So after the world failed to end, though, so like basically like the group split off, Rodin took some of the followers and uh, Hudif's widow took the other followers. Seems pretty typical when it comes to these power structures. Right. Like they always break apart every time the leader dies. Yep. Um, so after the world failed to end, Florence Hudif abandoned the Davidian group, leaving Rodin's uh, followers, by then known as the Branch Davidians, to take over Mount Carmel Center. So Rodin later died in 78, and Koresh was part of the group, and Koresh claimed that he had the gift of prophecy, and that God had chosen him to fo- father a child with the Branch's current cult leader, and widow of Rodin, Lois. So Lois took over the cult after um, Rodin died, and um, Koresh claimed that he was supposed to have a child with her. She was like 60. So like Again, very presumptuous. But very okay. presumptuous. Um, but he claimed that their child would be the chosen one. I'm really not sure how that's possible due to menopause, but regardless, we move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a clear power struggle, as there usually is, for mm-hmm. leadership between Koresh and George, who was Lois's son and um, was going to be taking over the cult when she died. Oh, um, so uh, soon, 
Koresh, along with 25 followers, were forced to leave the compound at gunpoint. Damn. Um, George was basically like, get the fuck out. Like, stop. Like, this is my dad's thing. Like, get the fuck out. So, he soon, uh, Koresh soon became to believe that the Davidic kingdom was meant to be fulfilled in Waco instead of um, Jerusalem. And that Mount Carmel Center was that place. Like, that was the kingdom. Uh, So they engaged in some, like, drama and some legal drama back and forth, trying to fight over this compound. Um, There was even a gunfight. And uh, Koresh had been, like, arrested for attempted murder. And But Koresh claimed that uh george had like illegally exhumed a dead body and was like doing weird shit at the compound and was like trying to get him arrested and it was like this whole like big thing a lot of all these the warning signs are there i don't understand <laughs> a lot of literally these... <laughs> all of the warning signs are there <laughs> a lot of these things ended with like mistrials and like not enough evidence Ah, uh, darn it. And eventually, Koresh was able to reclaim Mount Carmel Center um, as his place of operation. So Koresh was alleged to have been involved in multiple incidents of physical and sexual abuse uh, against children. His doctrine of the House of David did lead to marriages uh, between both married and single women in the Branch Davidians. Uh, this doctrine was based on the perverted revelation that involved the procreation of 24 children by a chosen woman in the community. Like, that's what he claimed was necessary. Okay. These 24 children were to serve as the ruling elders over the millennium after the return of Christ. Okay. So these women were um, perfectly chosen through this doctrine uh, and those women included at least one underage girl, uh, Michelle Jones. So former Branch Davidian member Janine Buns claimed that Koresh had fathered at least 15 children with various women and girls in the cult, and that she had personally delivered seven of these infants. Buns My God. Also, yeah. Buns also claims that Koresh would annul all marriages of any couples who joined the group so that he could have exclusive sexual access to the women and girls that uh, that joined. So gross. So basically, he his cult was like just like a big, like, come join my cult. All of the women are fair game. Uh, we need to produce as many children as possible, specifically 24, as they will be the elders of the society that exists after the you know after Christ and after the apocalypse or whatever. So Koresh's cult made mainstream media when the government developed interest in the group for allegedly possessing illegal arms. Mm. On February 28th, 1993, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives or the ATF attempted to raid the Branch Davidian site in order to execute a search warrant. What happened next remains unclear. Uh, both surviving Branch Davidians and surviving agents claimed the other side fired first. Uh, but the raid resulted in a bitter gun battle that killed five ATF agents and five Branch Davidians and injured an additional 16 agents. What followed was all but unprecedented in American history, which is a 51-day standoff between the Branch Davidians and the FBI, which had taken over uh they they took over after the atf 
The FBI used a variety of tactics to breach the compound, including uh, the playing of agonizingly loud music on speakers 24-7 in order to induce sleep deprivation. Um, they also used Guantanamo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. they were these basically torturing tactics. these people to try to get them to exit the compound. Yep. Um, they participated in full 60 hours of negotiation with Koresh in an attempt to um, get access to the site. As the standoff continued, uh, his closest male associates said, uh, or his close, Koresh's closest male associates, and he negotiated delays. And this was so that he could possibly write more religious documents, which he mm -hmm. felt he needed to complete before his surrender. Koresh's conversations with the negotiators were dense, and they also included a lot of biblical imagery. The FBI negotiators treated the situation as a hostage crisis uh, because he wasn't even releasing any of the members. It was just a full-on standoff. So finally, on April 19th, the FBI raided the compound using military-grade weaponry, such as armored tanks, as well as tear gas. A fire broke out, again, the source of which remains disputed. Uh, Branch Davidians say that they didn't shoot anything at all. Um, you know, the, the FBI said they shot first. Like, it's, it's one of those, like, no one, no one knows. Um, but 76 of the 85 Branch Davidians, including Koresh and 21 victims under the age of 16, uh, were killed. So the public treated the ending of the Siege of Waco as the story of a crazy cult that had gotten the end it deserved, similar to what happened in Jonestown. Uh, just a day after the raid, uh, then-President Bill Clinton argued that the FBI bore no responsibility for the deaths at Waco, saying, I do not think the United States government is responsible for the fact that a bunch of religious fanatics decided to kill themselves. And this is interesting, too, because you can look at the dichotomy between how Ruby Ridge happened and yeah. then the response with Waco, which is a whole, we can go through that rabbit hole another time. But that's, I mean, the, the, the whole response to all of this, too, is, is fascinating. And all this was televised. Like, the, this was yeah. on the news 24-7. It was on the news. It was in, it, yeah, it was mainstream media. He was, he was contacting news outlets and he was talking to them. And then, like the the FBI had to call and be like, get him off the fucking phone. Like yep. it was, it was a, it was turmoil. It was yeah. awful. It was terrible. And there's, there's very like, there's a lot of opinions over like, um, what what went down at the Waco siege. Like, what was okay? What was you know? Did the government use too much force? Did they overstep their boundaries? Like, like I mean, the president claiming that they all killed themselves. Like, did like. If if the FBI is entering with force, like, wouldn't they have had hand? But the problem is, is that, like, a fire broke out. No one knows what caused the fire in the building. The whole building caught on fire. Like, it was just, it was, it was chaos. It was pandemonium, and I, I don't know if they'll ever release any of the documents with that. I mean, we'd be, we be coming soon to the 30-year mark. So yeah. if there are any documents, they should be coming out soon. But, no, it, it was it was not handled very well but it also was one of those they had seen so many cults over the past 30 yeah. years from the 1970s on american soil that it was just like well i guess this is that yeah um 
so for some the Waco like I said for some the Waco tragedy was the foundation of a different narrative a story of unlawful government overreach and uh, the consequences of federal aggression so on the political far right in particular Waco became something of a rallying cry for those who saw the federal government as a threat so right-wing anti-government bomber Timothy McVeigh, for example, carried out his 1995 Oklahoma City bombings as part, or uh, in part as a direct response to Waco, um, where exactly. he had been an eyewitness at the siege. So he carried out those bombings as like a way to like be like, I'm like, he, this is not right. Like Waco shouldn't have happened. Like. Did you ever see the footage when they pulled apart looking through the audio, the, 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 the people who were behind the FBI at Waco and they found him, they found his face, they mm-hmm. found Timothy McVeigh, yeah. like just watching the siege happen. Yeah. And, and, you know, and yeah. And uh, he felt like it was like he, at that point he was very anti-government. He felt that like the government was too powerful and, and overstepping their bounds. Yeah. All of these were catalysts. All, all of these between Ruby Ridge and uh, Waco and then uh, what happened in Philadelphia with the move on movement and yep. just all of these things. And that, that one, that one was a travesty. What happened in Philadelphia was a travesty. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's not talked about as widely and people who, who were even against the black Panthers who started having all of that paperwork leaked out and seeing how far the government reached in order to literally get rid of, a community organizing organization right. uh, like a, like a, essentially a neighborhood watch and made and made meals for kids right. and and it, it they turned it into this fanatic bullshit crap so i mean there, there there was a there was enough fodder for people to get there they should never have taken it as far as timothy mcveigh did ever but it, there there was a lot of uh, there, there was a there was a lot of anger and it was kind of justified right yeah um which we'll get, we'll also get into like the fact that like Timothy McVeigh is seen as like a right wing, far right extremist, uh, committed like a terrorist crime, in 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 far right ideals. But but it's it, like I personally, and I talk about this in a bit, like find it interesting that like at that time far right was fighting like government oppression, which nowadays. It's kind of more the left that's fighting government oppression, and it, it's just oh, a very yeah. interesting like political political movements and stances are are a circle. They're they're, they're, they're all, never a linear line. Yeah, ever. they're all over the place yep. too. It's just yep. it's it flip flopped a bit. But anyway, we'll get oh, to yeah. that. Um, so the group didn't completely die out after the Waco debacle, though. Um, nine Davidians escaped the fire, and the group still hasn't completely dissolved. A new group formed called Branch, the Lord of Our Righteousness with a new compound in the old Waco space and they have a new leader and that's that's where that left off like they just exist I don't know I don't know if they still exist today but after that whole thing went down they still existed so um now some Davidians were still meeting regular regularly for bible study in 2013 and some of those people believed that Koresh might actually return from the dead to lead them again um, but I mean, if you want to know no zombie more, leaders, please. no zombie leaders, <laughs> no zombie None. leaders. None. uh, if you want to know more, uh, there's actually, I believe there's a documentary on Waco, um, that came out recently on Netflix. Um, I can't remember exactly because I was half asleep and woke up 
and it was on and I was just like all right this is a thing um and when I tried looking it up there's a crime drama called Waco that just comes up in my search like it's it's more popular it's like a series like um it gets all the high level details correct but they took a lot of liberties because they wanted it to be like a like a drama series um so now why bring up Waco? Uh, Koresh was the primary source of inspiration for fictional cult leader Joseph Seed in Far Cry 5. So Far Cry 5 is a 2018 first-person shooter game developed by Ubisoft Montreal and Ubisoft Toronto and published by Ubisoft. Um, so it is the standalone successor to the 2014's Far Cry 4 and the fifth main installment in the Far Cry series. So the game takes place in Hope County, a fictional region of Montana, uh, United States. The main story revolves around the Project at Eden's Gate, a doomsday cult that has taken over the county at the command of its charismatic and powerful leader, Joseph Seed. So Seed believes that he has been chosen by God to protect the people of Hope County from the, quote, collapse. Um, a global catastrophe that will see the collapse of society and to this end has established a congregation called the Project of Eden's Gate. Uh, ostensibly, this is to fulfill his mission of leading the people to salvation. In reality, Seed is a radical preacher and Eden's Gate is a militaristic doomsday cult. Under his rule, Eden's Gate has um, used both co coercion and violence to forcibly convert the residents of Hope County and intimidation to keep them from contacting the outside world for help. Seed has assumed the title of the father and maintains control over Hope County with the aid of the Heralds. Now the player character is an unnamed junior deputy uh, who arrives at Eden's Gate Church to detain Joseph Seed with a federal arrest warrant on charges of kidnapping with the intent to harm. Although Joseph offers no resistance, he claimed that God will not allow him to be taken, and as he is escorted away, cult members attack the task force and cause their helicopter to crash. Joseph escapes and commands the cult to capture the task force members. So there are three endings to this game. Uh, one that plays on the idea of brainwashing, which is a common theme in cult activities and often claimed to be what is truly holding people in the mental hostage situation that is a cult. A lot of the times when cults um, are being investigated, brainwashing comes up as like, are these people like believers or have they been like completely brainwashed into believing everything that the cult believes? So when writing Far Cry 5, the setting and the tone of the game originated from separatism. And according to Hay, the writer, he often felt unsafe when he was young because of the conflicts between the two superpowers during the Cold War. And this manifested in the 21st century uh, in the form of frequent terrorist attacks such as 9-11. And also uh, financial problems such as the subprime mortgage crisis. And, it turn, and in turn caused people to become increasingly protective as they questioned the government. So um, ultimately the concept of the global village began to collapse, uh, which sets the theme of the game and prompted the team to write a story that features a doomsday cult. So I guess originally they had this like global village utopia type thing that they were trying to like um, write about, but it ultimately 
came to be the story of a doomsday cult uh, as the game's main antagonist. So another investigation involved in the creation of this story, though, was over the occupation and standoff of the wildlife refuge in Oregon, which on January 2nd in 2016, an armed group of far-right extremists seized and occupied the headquarters of the Mahler National Wildlife Refuge in Harney County, Oregon, and continued to occupy it until law enforcement made a final arrest on February 11th in 2016. So this was caused by the group's belief that the federal government lacks the constitutional authority to exclusively own and manage public lands in the U.S. and the Mm -hmm. leader's belief to be under the direction of the divine message. So this was some like white dude uh, who believed that it was his divine uh, like quest to go and protect this land from federal government. Um, And they did this... uh, they did this armed like they they were uh, a lot of their members what they were armed to the teeth oh yeah they They were armed to the teeth a lot of the members semi-automatic weaponry yeah they had semi-automatic weaponry they had like they they, i mean it was just it was insane a lot of the members of this occupation were were like part of like smaller militias that they had formed um under like right-wing ideals so as we are aware um far-right politics uh also are referred to as the extreme right or right-wing extremism and it's politics uh they're they're they they exist further right of the left right political spectrum than the standard political right so there's like we have the centrist the right the far right just like we have the centrist the left the far left um and particularly they believe in terms of like extreme nationalism native nativist ideology ideal i can't talk today nativist ideologies ideal that i'm not saying that word right i um ideologies ideologies jesus you had the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable it's fine Um, and authoritarian tendencies. So historically, uh, it's used to describe the experiences of like <laughs> fascism and Nazism. Uh, today's far right politics include neo-fascism, neo-Nazism, third position, the alt right, white nationalists, and other uh, organizations that feature aspects of ultra uh, ultra nationalists chauvinist, xenophobic, theocratic, racist, homophobic, anti-communist, or reactionary views. Right. So just for the sake of anyone like being like, especially in today's climate, I don't know who would be listening to our podcast who believes in this, but anyone who's like, but what about the far left, especially after Trump claiming that they're a terrorist group. Um, so yes, the far left does exist. Uh, they're, oh, obviously. There are different definitions of the far left. In certain instances, the term far left or radical left has been associated with forms of anarchism, autonomism, and communism, Mm -hmm. groups that advocate for revolutionary anti-capitalism, anti-globalism, and are are often characterized as far left. So the extremist far left politics can involve violent acts and the formation of a far left militant organization meant to abolish capitalist systems and the upper ruling class 
far left terrorism consists of uh, groups that attempt to realize their radical ideas and uh, bring about change through violence rather than the established political process, just like the far right. Absolutely. However, that being said, the wiki page for the far left was about one fifth of the far right's <laughs> wiki page. I just want to point that out. There was also only one account of a terrorist attack in the name of far left. And that, that was a, underground? what? Was it the Weatherman Underground? It was the bombing of an airbase in 81. Oh, okay. So, I don't know that one. Yeah, so uh, just uh, it was like a, a very small group of like far left uh, extremists were trying to just like stick it to the man and, and they bombed an airbase. Right. Um, but yeah, so it does exist. However, I'll let you make of that information as you will, seeing as how there was like literally google it go to the wiki page it's like a fifth of the other one so yeah um now another question uh, is what what labels right implies uh when it or what did i write here geez i'm i'm a mess we're back it's the first day back you're doing great thank you um when apply you're to great um, examples and explanations of both uh, actual tragedies and also uh, the theologies behind, behind all the zealousness. Yeah. Yes. Um, so given the fact that many parties were originally labeled right-wing extremists tended to advance neoliberal and free market agendas as um, late as the 1980s, but now advocate for economic policies who are more traditionally associated with the left, such as anti-globalization, -global nationalization, and protectionism. So aspects of far-right ideology can be identified in the agenda of some contemporary right-wing parties, in particular the idea that superior persons should dominate society while undesirable elements should be purged, which in extreme cases resulted in genocides. Not good, like the Holocaust. Like the Holocaust. Um, Proponents of the horseshoe theory interpretation of the left-right spectrum identify the far left and the far right as having more in common with each with each yes. other as extremists yeah. than each of them has with moderate centrists. However, the horseshoe theory does not enjoy support within academic circles and has received criticism, including the view that it has been centrists who have supported far-right and fascist regimes that they prefer in power over socialist ones. So basically I mean, stating that, like, the horseshoe theory says that, like, far right and far left are so extreme that they actually circle back to one another. Right. Um, however, people claim that centrist, people who kind of fall in the middle, are often more far, like, far right leaning because the um, people in power are people they want to remain in power. They're, they're complicit with the systems that actively oppress people. They're, it's like people who are okay with systemic racism. Right. Where because it not, benefits them. Because it benefits them and they don't see the benefits of caring about something when it doesn't affect them. So therefore, they don't often move against it or protest against it because it literally doesn't affect their lives. Exactly. Yep. So, um, which is what I was like insinuating earlier by saying that like 
you know, years and years ago, stuff that used to be seen as far right extremism has actually flip flopped into far Agreed. left extremism Agreed. and far left extremism has actually flip flopped into like far right extremism. Um, and there are certain things that do remain pretty consistent because you, you like, I think the most notably the most consistent far right movement is white supremacy. Absolutely. That is, that, that is the most. Yeah, like it seems like. It seems like the groups have stayed on their sides, but some of yes. the ideologies have been mixed up. Yeah. Because like essentially like the far right is, you know, often Republican, but Republicans believe in smaller government. Or at least that was the initial idea was Correct. that Republicans were to believe in smaller government, more state run operations, et cetera. However, due to religious views and just ideologies that have developed over the years that smaller government only seems to exist when you're talking about like financials the um, the economy the economy uh but we've leaned more into like government controlling societal needs which Mm -hmm. would be more government control but the far right is okay with that so it's it's because it keeps the status quo of what they prefer exactly so it's just it's all it's all crazy it's a jumbled hot mess there there's nothing that is that is wholly linear and there's nothing that will ever be um that that will ever stay the same other than racists and nazis should get punched in the face yeah so fair agreed yep yeah um But I, I do love this deep dive. You're making my brain flex and I'm appreciating it. Ah, yeah. Um, but I do want to point out that like far right has been more often tied to extremist acts, cults, violent yes. acts, terrorist acts, um, in the name of these neo fascist, neo Nazi, alt right, white nationalist ideals. Mm-hmm. Um, so many journalists, um, figured that Far Cry 5's setting and narrative concept uh, involving these themes of religious fanaticism and the emergence of the far-right political movement, because again, like, the cult in Far Cry 5 is very far-right in terms of, like, an essence. Um, Not really super political, but, like, you get that vibe. They're, they got guns and shit. <laughs> the nature of it is definitely yeah. Um, a hallmark. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're militarized, uh, members as well as like their break away from the government system and owning like an entire county to run. And honestly, if I can get critical, (laughs) the left isn't nearly as well oiled or organized, (laughs) um, as, as the right tends to be there, there tends to be a lot of very small, separate factions that all agree on certain things meanwhile the right tends to get pretty large all-encompassing movements and people and leadership in front of it meanwhile the left the left still kind of um is is neglected in in that facet um yeah they're missing some like higher level organizational needs yeah yep yeah so um Journalists claim that this game would be highly controversial because of those things. And individuals later objected to the game um, and started a petition against the game uh, after the trailer came out. Not after the game came out, but after the trailer came out. 
um, they called the portrayal of American Christians as uh, villains, like they they want they objected that, um, and they wanted to uh, recast the game's uh, antagonist. Um, the the petition. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, what you? No, no, go. I I'll I'll finish my thought after okay. you. Okay. Um. You finish it. The, the, the petition suggested, which this is fucked, um, that they recast the antagonists as either Muslims or inner city gang members. That's okay. That's the, okay. The, or this any is other non-white antagonist um, as possible uh, replacements and also suggested that the game setting be moved to Canada. So you. <laughs> not only is this incredibly racist, um, but again... A large majority of cults are often centered around Christianity or Christian values and yeah. are run by white cis males. Yes, yes. So to, to, when you research cults, when you Google cults, it's, I won't say always, mm -hmm. but a vast majority um, are white dudes running a new religious movement under Christian values and to have an entire petition claim that the game was offensive and inaccurate and the antagonists should be people of color or gang members I mean it's just it's not only ridiculous but incredibly racist and fucked yeah. up and this also points to um, a, a huge huge piece of, of racism that has to do with it with exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. So when when whenever you create the exception in their minds, in their minds, the reason why it's more for them, it's more accurate to choose someone who is brown or black to be an antagonistic um, per, uh, perpetrator is because in their minds, that's what majority of them are. Right. The exceptions are the nice ones, quote unquote, that they know who are smart and who are articulate and who who don't hold those same values as someone who's a bad person of color. Right. And for them, they don't see that same exceptionalism when it comes to white Christian males, because to them, every white Christian male is good. And when you showcase the bad, then that's a bad, then this is where the hypocrisy comes in is that that's a bad stereotypical portrayal of white cisgendered Christian mm -hmm. men. Right. But they don't see that as an exception. They see that as an attack. Exactly. Which is they see it as is, an attack, especially if exhausting. they are yeah, especially if they are a white person with Christian values who yes. leans towards the right. You see yes. that game and you feel like you're the villain, and yes. you feel like you're being villainized. And so we know you're we know you're probably not a militant asshole who's going to go on a genocidal whatever. We know this. We know this, Chris. We are aware of that. We are showing you the example of the pieces of shit that are just the same as we show you the pieces of shit from, let's say, the Medellin cartel who are absolute fucking murderers. Right. Does, or does the that mean that, that every? Like, I did bring yeah, Does that, that mean every Colombian is bad? No, no. It means we're showing you the exception. Right. And that's the thing is that earlier I did bring up that the other religion typically involved in it's extremist Islamic, activity yeah. is Islamic, but that does not mm -hmm. mean that every single, you know, person under the Muslim religion is going to be a terrible person. There are beautiful, no. kind people that exist that follow yes. that religion. That religion is not the, inherently evil. It's just 
anybody can take any ideal and make it extreme and take it to the absolutely. point of violence. And absolutely. That- and they, they are the small fraction. They are the fringes. And they are, they, 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 but they can exist anywhere. They can exist anywhere. Right. Yes. Um, now other cults worth noting that resemble similar ideologies and have contributed to the game would be the children of God, heaven's gate and the order of the solar temple, Mm -hmm. which are all Christian value cults. Yep. Mr. I want a gang member to run a cult. Like, Chad. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> oh good lord jeez all right the members of the children of god cog uh founded communes first called colonies and now referred to as homes in various cities um by 1972 they had 130 communities around the world and by 1977 they had established um or sorry they by 1977 they had established those 130 communities around the world. And by 1983, the group reported more than 10,000 full-time members living in um, 1,600 homes. So the Children of God was um, was abolished in 1978. Um, Berg had reorganized the movement amid reports of serious mid- misconduct and financial management. Um, the chain's abuse of authority and disagreement within uh within it about the continued use of flirty fishing is what kind of like led to this like reorganization of the movement um the group was also accused of sexually abusing and raping minors within the organization with considerable evidence um founder david berg told members that god was love and love was sex so there should Mm -hmm. be no limits regardless of age or relationship which is fucking gross berg's own daughter deborah described her father's actions in a 1984 expose she claimed um he attempted to have sex with her several times and engaged in continuous sexual relationship with his other daughter faith which is fucking disgusting um his actions weren't confined to his immediate family uh starting in the late 1970s berg preached uh sexual sharing to all of his followers and their children so basically just like mass like swapping of sexual partners but that also included children which is disgusting um the free expression of sexuality included uh fornication adultery lesbianism but not male homosexuality because that's just like against the bible or something right lord Um, and incest were not just permitted but encouraged so obviously again like um the chain's abuse of authority disagreements within the um religion uh and also uh serious misconduct led to the reorganization like i said the children of god was abolished in 78 Following the abolishment, um, one-eighth of the total membership left the movement, and those who remained became part of this reorganized thing called the Family of Love, and later just the family. The cult attempted to distance itself from Berg's uh, pedophilic dogma, especially after his death in 1994, um, because they wanted legitimate international, like, religious, like, sect. Um... 
Heaven's Gate is another cult. This one's slightly not really religious um, because they were um, an American UFO. I mean, it's still religious, but they're an American UFO religious group. They're a lot more weird. They're a lot more weird. Um, Based near San Diego, California. It was founded in 1974 and led by Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. On March 26, 1997, members of the San Diego County Sheriff's Department discovered the bodies of 39 members of the group in a house in San Diego suburb of Rancho Santa Fe. They had participated in a mass suicide, a coordinated series of ritual suicides in order to reach uh, what they believed was an extraterrestrial spacecraft following comet Haley Bopp. Just before the mass suicide, the group's website was updated with the message, Haley Bop brings closure to Heaven's Gate. Our 22 years of classroom here on planet Earth is finally coming to conclusion. Graduation from the human evolutionary level. We are happily prepared to leave this world and go with Ty's crew. Uh, Heaven's Gate members believed the planet Earth would be, or that was... That was it. They would go with Ty's crew. So Heaven's Gate members believed that the planet Earth would be recycled, which would be wiped clean, renewed, refurbished, uh, regenerated, or regenerated, um, Mm -hmm. rejuvenated, like just redone. Um, And this would all happen before 2027. Uh, So we still got time, everybody. Uh, The only chance for their consciousness um, or their solar mind to survive that was to leave their human bodies at an appointed time. Initially, the group had been told that they would be transported with their bodies aboard a spacecraft that would come to Earth and take the crew to heaven, referred to as the next level. Um, Obviously, this specific cult doesn't directly relate to the themes of Far Cry and the Christian extremism that exists. and also it includes maps. What? I said it could have gotten that far it if, it got, if it got it to the at least the mass suicide part of it. I mean, like, so Far Cry's cult obviously didn't, like, lead that intensely. Um, right. However, the devotion of the members of Heaven's Gate closely resembles Seed's followers in the game because mm-hmm. they were always willing to go the extra mile for their leader. Especially at the church. Right. Um, so the Order of the Solar Temple is a cult and religious sect that claims to be based upon the ideals of the Knights Templar. So the Knights Templar are simply the Templars. They were Catholic um, military or um, founded in 1119. They headquartered at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem through 1128. Templar Knights, uh, in their distinctive white mantles with a red cross, were among the most skilled fighting units in the Crusades, which we talked about earlier. So the aims of the Order of the Solar Temple included um, establishing correct notions of authority and power in the world, an affirmation of the primacy of the spiritual over the temporal, assisting humanity through a great transition, preparing for the second coming of Christ as a solar god-king, and furthering a unification of all Christian churches and Islam. So the first victims of the sect died on September 30th in 1994. A 35-year-old Swiss man, his wife, and three-month-old child were murdered in uh, Quebec. 
Between 1994 and 1997, a total of 74 cult members died. 30 were Swiss, 30 were French, and 10 were Canadian. These were all categorized as um, both mass murders and mass suicides. Wow. So this was all under that cult. So cults are still wildly present today, whether operating in um, less extreme form or just under the radar. The most organized one, and uh, or sorry, not organized, the most recognized one is definitely the Church of Scientology. Um, yeah. But I literally could do an entire series alone on yeah, okay. uh, just the insanity of that cult. And it is that's a cult. A yep. It is a cult. Um, and uh, I definitely recommend watching, like, um, there's that, like, series show with, like, ex-members um, that go over, like, all the shit in Scientology. I watch that, like, obsessively. I'm fascinated by it, but it's insane that it's not only operating, but still thriving, like, in today's society. Um, so... I talked about all of the male leaders, but I also want to point out that uh, women are also known to go to great lengths due to a cult's belief uh, system. And recently, one particular woman made headlines. So, to wrap this up in a more recent cult activity, uh, Lori Vallow was coined to be the doomsday cult mom. <laughs> yeah, but just smiled at me. Yep. So last fall, Idaho officials started looking into the mysterious disappearance of two children, seven-year-old Joshua J.J. Vallow and 17-year-old Tylee Ryan, who haven't uh, been seen since September. Lori Vallow uh, and her husband, Chad Debo, told police that the children were just living in Arizona, uh, which left authorities very suspicious and when law enforcement arrived the next day with a search warrant they discovered that the couple had abruptly fled to like hawaii um well they fled and they were found in hawaii so i'm assuming they fled to hawaii um they ignored court ordered deadlines to bring the children to authorities so on february 20th uh police in Kauai finally arrested valo on the morning of June 8th, local law enforcement and the FBI traveled to Daybell's home where they executed the search warrant. And in ensuing hours, police took Daybell into custody and confirmed that human remains had been found on his property. So Lori was part of Preparing a People, a doomsday prepper group that she herself referred to as a cult. Um, they believed in prepping for the second coming of Jesus and the end of days. Valo was a hundred quote a hundred percent into the end of times um, and found herself drawn to Daybell through the fictional doomsday books that he had written. Uh, her ex-husband had claimed Valo believes she is a god assigned to carrying out the work of the 144,000 at Christ's second coming in July of 2020. I we got we got a couple more days, y'all. So, I don't know, man. If Jesus comes back next month, Valo was right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, with twenty twenty and the way that it's been going, bring it. Why not? Again, that's why I said I'm surprised. Like cults aren't like being more vocal right now. Like you would think, but they anyway. probably haven't found a way to monetize it properly and to be able to True. get a bunch of money from people. So True. fair. 
Um, but yeah. yeah, so Vallow believed that uh, she needed to carry out a bunch of work, do all this prep, because Christ was coming in July of 2020. Um, which I laugh now, but I feel like I'm going to regret laughing at that in a month. Um, who knows? In, Honestly, uh, all we can do is laugh at this point. It's fine. Just it's, laugh. It's fine. We just have to laugh. In a lengthy letter, Melanie Gibb uh, says, which is like a friend of Valo, said that Valo foresaw her ex-husband Charles dying before he was shot to death last year. So I guess her ex-husband, who um, had made claims that, um, you know, she thought Jesus was coming in 2020, uh, he was shot, like, prior to her children going missing, um, I guess by her brother in self-defense. Uh, hmm. Alex Cox claims that Charles was enraged and tried to attack him, and he shot him in self-defense, and he ended up dying. Um, okay. Super weird thing. Very but anyway, weird. Charles was supposed to die according to the vision visions she had of him dying, and she was greatly disappointed when he didn't. Of course, like <laughs> he did, so I don't, I don't know. But um, are, are we sure she isn't greatly disappointed because she took out a hit on him to make sure right? the prophecy came true? I don't know. Maybe don't know. conspiracy theory. Let's do it. This the, this whole thing is very like these dots connect a little too much. Yeah, a little bit. Um, Valo was head over heels for Daybell. Uh, Chad and Lori were so anxious to be together that Chad devised a plan and called Lori to let her know that Charles was taken over by an unclean spirit and was no longer Charles anymore. Uh, these okay. unclean spirits would later be called zombies. So Gibb had told authorities that Vallow thought her children had become zombies, um, stating that J.J. Uh, Vallow specifically had become a zombie. And um, Gibb further reports, though, that the term zombie isn't actually like necessarily what we think it is or what we relate to it in today's like pop culture it actually refers to the individual whose moral spirit has left their body and their body is now the host of another spirit the new spirit is a zombie and always considered a dark spirit so basically she just thought her son was like possessed like she thought her son was no longer her son she thought he was possessed taken over by a dark spirit or a zombie um and uh the children of this doomsday-obsessed mom uh, were found on Daybell's property. Mm -hmm. They appear to have been tortured. Um, and as one was found wrapped in plastic uh, and the other uh, child was actually dismembered and burned. So that is where I leave off in terms of uh, 2020 cults still a thing, still a thing. Yep. Um, but I, I personally like any of these cults. Like, obviously, like you could do like a whole like episode about, right? Like you could just go on and on and on. There's so much information. Uh, there's cults I didn't even mention that um are are prevalent or have like extensive historical background um or relate to religious fanaticism, Christian extremism, far mm -hmm. right what have you um so i definitely suggest like looking into cults uh if it intrigues you like it does me um i think uh if you like that kind of 
aspect in your video games, Far Cry 5 is definitely one to look into. Um, I think they cover that really well. I know also we've previously talked about like Outlast 2 has like two cults. Yep. Um, We talked about that in like our cannibal episode. Um, They have religious fanaticism cults. Um, Yeah, just like the obsession with religion the obsession with apocalyptic notions i mean it just it can develop the the obsession of being right is almost always there too or just like or not even being right but being the savior yes yes like being the one who fixes it all like being the one who saves everybody um that's also i mean like yeah like and and i don't even like talking to people that much i can't even imagine running a fucking cult like i will like, say though uh recently looking at uh houses um there's an entire i found an entire like horse farm like whoop. an entire thing it's it's for rent very cheaply but it's basically a compound i'm like if there's i ever bodies there there's definitely bodies there, oh 100%. absolutely but also if yeah. i ever wanted to start a cult like an actual cult like there's some pretty cheap land uh fully there's like a barn there's like multiple like buildings i don't know it's a whole fucking compound i was like listen you can if definitely you need someone to run the there. back end i got your books i got your books i got the marketing material i got all that for you, you got this yeah, yeah. Um, just put me in the back office and don't put me in the front we'll be good <laughs> but yeah so i mean like cults are just i find them wildly fascinating for various reasons um they're all slightly different, but they all are slightly very similar, too, at the same time. Um, and it's also, like, crazy how, like, uh, different they can be in terms of, like, what they practice, whether they become destructive or not. Um, I think a lot of the times we recognize, I think because Christianity has moved away from these different sects, that... Um, that they've deemed new religious movements like some like i said at the beginning some are not extreme they're just right. new religions that just operate how a religion does um without being like crazy compound communal let's separate from society and uh perform sex sex rituals and then do weird shit i don't know like it's just like not not all religious movements are are going to turn out that way but are going to be um based off the exploitation of others for the singular gain of a person right um but it is it is you know i think to be noted that uh there are a lot of cults out there a lot of cults a lot of cults Um, don't join a cult don't 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 join a cult yeah have have friends instead and friends that don't want to make you do weird ass rituals. How about yeah. that? I mean, th- I was also watching. There was a YouTube video that I was watching where um he was interviewing some cult, mem- like ex cult members, mm-hmm. um, and I think there was one person from a ch- the the family, the Children of God, um, but yep. there was another person from like a more modern cult. I had never heard of this. It like operated in New York, like via a yoga studio. and but they were like a sex cult they like were they were like a polygamous cult like i talked about like religious cults and doomsday cults but this one was Mm -hmm. a polygamous cult that just like 
it still used manipulative tactics, still used like, you know, power moves, um, power dynamics, like predatory behavior, predatory behavior, abuse systems, like the system of influence over people, the system of control over people. Mm -hmm. Um, but in this weird, like hippie love polygamist um it was also matriarchal i remember this dude talking about how the whole cult uh was run by a woman it was a matriarchal cult about satisfying women sexually um and satisfying women women sexually was like like how men thrived like if you needed like if you like you would like i don't know like have success if you were just like constantly sexually pleasing women like if you hang on i need to i need to have my boyfriend hear this hang on um just kidding just kidding but like Um, also like these women like you also wanted them to thrive as well and they would thrive by being sexually pleased i don't know it was super weird this i just remember this dude uh being interviewed talking about how like he just thought it was a standard that when a female was having a rough day or having a hard time that you just would perform sexual activities on them to make them feel better and that was your role like that was your role in society Listen, I don't like that that's being mandated as a role, but, like, if you're there for your partner, I think you're going to comfort them regardless of, like, the power structure or the dynamic that's there. Like, that that should be encouraged, but that should no way in shape or form ever be enforced to the point of of manipulation and or abuse. Like, Jesus Christ. They were having, like, these, like, like sex rituals where, like, a bunch of women were in the room and they were all being, like, sexually pleased by men. Like that was like the the that was the yoga class of the day or whatever. Um, but That's it was crazy. it was wild. Um, and I'm glad he got out of that because I'm glad he shit. did too. But Jesus. also, I do think it was a little humorous, and he he made the joke like he laughed at it too. Um, so I can say this without like feeling like I'm offending him. But um, he uh, he talked about how when he got out of the cult, you know, he still had like some of those like ideals in the back of his head. And mm-hmm. at his new job, his manager um, was ha- was stressed out and having a rough day. And he offered, you know, not not like predatory, not like not sexual harassment. Just, just been ground in his brain as something to offered do. If oh, he no. Could help her out in a sexual way if that would oh. help. And and she was like, what the fuck? I would be like, what the fuck? And he had to explain that he was part of this, like, cult. And he thought that that was, like, normal. Like, he thought that that was... He really was well-intentioned and just thought that he was helping her out by offering his services. And it was, it it was, like, it wasn't creepy, right? Like, it wasn't like, hey, like, can I... Right. You know? But it was was so so genuine that you're, it's it's off-putting and you're just like, wait, why was that the first thing that you jumped to? Like, what? Are you okay? Yeah, like, why would you say that to me? And it was just, he was, he was taught that that was the proper answer. Um, so... So, yeah, uh... Listen, relationships are built on mutual respect (laughs) and that is what it should have and nobody should be in any way shape or form pressured into into roles of of service because they should right that's great yeah. that, that 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 makes my hair stand on end more yeah. than together but like about. that was like a modern day like cult so like it's it's yeah. just it's that's why i think it's so fascinating because it's not it's not always jonestown 
Yeah. Cults are yep. not always yeah. Jonestown. Cults are not always the Church of Scientology. Yes. Sometimes it's, it's not. It's not always that extreme. It's not always that violent, and it's not always that deadly. Right. Sometimes it's just a small group of people collectively organizing around a belief system with a, a charismatic leader and a goal. Like sometimes it's just as as quote simple as that. Um, mm-hmm. despite having like damaging effects um so again from from what i've from what i've you know seen and researched and read about um there's no good cults no <laughs> there's no, no there's there's no good cults it's just it's all bad people, man just respect people man you don't need other and and i know i know what cults do they 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 find the people who they can exploit they find people who are in a weakened state mentally um yep. who who they're able to uh, to manipulate and who they're able to to kind of mold and craft into what they believe, yep. um, and that's and that's what makes these things so dangerous. But also, people seek that. P- people seek structure and they seek solace and they seek comfort and they seek all these things. And there are just there there are just so many people who take advantage of that that I would be suspicious too. Like I like yep. I you know I uh, and as somebody who's and as somebody who's been a victim of abuse, it's not it you you don't always realize you're in it until no you you get that lightning bolt and you you get that realization and you, you get that that thing that goes oh shit this is not good for me right and then you realize that or you this is not normal or this is not normal yeah. like yes. yeah, I, i'm think, getting hurt by this this right. is not good for me right and yeah. i think that yeah you're right they do prey on people who are like are in that state of mind that they're looking for a change or a purpose yeah. or uh something new um mm-hmm. So yeah, so, and anybody can be exploited. This is oh, no, yeah. no, no one is no one is safe. No one is no. yeah, no, no, yep, no. When I when I talk about my experiences, there's a lot of people like, really, that happened to you? And it's like, yeah, I'm not who I was ten years ago. Don't so, worry, I got the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm I'm not who I was 10, 12 years ago, and and I I fell for for shit easy, and yeah. it was just, but I I've, I've learned from that, and that's why I'm a I'm a cynical nihilistic angry firecracker. firecracker of a fucking bitch so hell yeah eat it. so yeah i mean also uh, hug me i like hugs too don't actually eat it you're fine cool <laughs> i'm i'm nice i promise when we can <laughs> hug again I'll, I'll hug you yay i like hugs that's our that's our episode that's our welcome back episode just uh, cartels and cults cartels and cults baby it's what we love um, I, I still really wanted to bring in a heist um, on it, but it, this one was just so there. There was just so many things, and I'll, I'll get a freaking super armored, crazy heist like DB Cooper level in here yes. one of these days. Yeah. So um, one of these days. But yeah, thank you guys so much for watching uh, or watching. Thank you guys so much for listening. We're, we're Twitch streamers. It's what we do. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so used to saying that at the end of streams. Like, <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys, for watching. Make sure to like and subscribe. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we're very excited to be back um, and and doing this because, you know, it's something that we both enjoy. Um, yes. Plus, we like talking to each other. <laughs> Especially about murder. Especially about murder. Um, so thank you guys so much. Um, you know, whatever you're listening to our podcast on, uh, make sure to follow or subscribe. Uh, leave a good review. That would mean a lot to us. Tell your friends. Share the podcast. Um and yeah, just we uh, we both stream on Twitch, so 
make sure to check us out there um, under Little Red or Yebba Debba. And um, we will we'll, we'll, we'll hear, we'll talk to you, we'll, we'll do something next month. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited and, and it'll be it'll be good and I'm, I'm happy to be back in some some regular stuff now that we are in such non-normal times that I just need to do something normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fair. So. Same. So uh, yep. stay safe, uh, wear a mask. Wear a mask. And even though uh, it kind of feels apocalyptic right now, please don't join a cult. Please don't join a cult. You're doing great. We promise. Um, fight against racism. Call your representatives. Make sure you go out and vote. And we love you very much. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Especially cocaine. Definitely don't do cocaine. <laughs> don't do it. And ah. we'll talk about fee picks later. Okay, bye. Oh, fee picks. Yes. Bye. <laughs>